0: Okie dokie, a podcast for those addicted to the study of Scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today?
1: Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels Part Ninety. Last week, we were in Luke, exclusively, uh, where Jesus was teaching this parable about the manager of a rich man who had wasted the rich man's possessions and was being Joel. Jesus seemed to... um, indicate that he was being shrewd and was commending this man's behavior for trying to reclaim some of the wealth that had been lost on the manager's account. And Jesus connects it to say, okay, if you have this man who is using earthly wealth to make earthly connections or friends for his master's sake, then you should do the same, but it should be on a a heavenly or a spiritual level. You should use the resources, the wealth that you've been gifted. Uh, It doesn't even have to be wealth. It can be your skills, your talents, your gifts. Uh, Use that to store up treasures in the heavenly realm because ultimately the physical nature of life is going to pass away whenever the kingdom and the world to come uh, take take over our reality, uh, and all things are made right. Yeah. And he was he was addressing this specifically to the Pharisees, where the text says who were lovers of money. So he was trying to get at their heart um, and the things that they were struggling with within their own Jewish leadership.
0: Yeah, there's that. I mean, there's like an entire industry of people who plan for I don't know retirement or you know all these kind of things and you know it's it's not that there isn't some good wisdom in there being responsible taking care of family etc it's good but pales in comparison we we need to be preparing for the life to come the world to come that's where the real smart money goes so yeah it's good it's good there were a lot of good stories there And we're going to move on, Samuel. This is going to be, I think, kind of interesting, kind of fun. This is one of those super popular uh, parables, if you think of it as a parable, some don't, uh, about the rich man and Lazarus. And so, I don't know. Maybe we'll just be telling you things you already knew, or maybe we can find some really cool, interesting things in here. But you ready to start? Okie dokie. Oh! Yeah <laughs> we are in Luke chapter sixteen. We're starting verse nineteen going through verse twenty three. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, And Lazarus at his side. Now, we're actually going to interrupt the story right there because we don't want to get too far along. There's too much to say. So, again, what are we reading here? Well, some people think it's a parable, some people don't. We got all kinds of arguments on both. And you know, there's good stuff. But here's the thing we don't actually have to settle that argument, Samuel, not to get to the point. Let's just, I mean, let's just not. And say we did. No, we're going to not settle it, and we're just going to talk about what is Jesus trying to communicate through this. So, this story, it it does provide some really interesting insight into what Jesus accepted as proper understanding regarding death, etc. And I think that we could say it's kind of a soft endorsement of some ideas that were around in the first century. So we'll dig those out. Now, we have two contrasting characters. First, you got the rich man. He had his fancy clothes, and he had fine foods. His life was a life of comfort and ease. Very much like us, wouldn't you say, Samuel? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And second, you have a poor man. He was unable to walk, at the very least. He, his clothing was sores. I mean, I, I'm sure he had other clothing, but he was covered in sores. He was hungry. He wasn't just craving the rich man's scraps, it goes a little bit further He's craving the scraps that fell to the floor. Of course, Modern America, Samuel, what do you say when something falls on the floor? 10-second rule. Oh, no, it's a five-second rule. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At 10 seconds, it's gonna kill you. I'm just saying. Five seconds, you're still good. No, it, but, the, the, I mean, this guy, he was very, 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 very poor. He didn't even want the scraps. He just wanted the, the scraps that fell to the floor. And so the inference is, and you can easily imagine this, the inference is that the rich man never gave him anything. Again, it's not explicit, but easily inferred. If that wasn't enough, he had to endure dogs licking his sores. And that actually brings up the idea that, gee, maybe it was more than he couldn't walk. Maybe he was quadriplegic or something. I mean, this was bad, right? His life was a life of suffering, just like yours and mine, wouldn't you say, Samuel? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a description of their contrasting lives, and then they both die. Now, the contrast continues in death, except here's the kicker. It's now upside down. The poor man is now experiencing comfort and ease in paradise, at Abraham's side, or in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man is experiencing suffering in Gehenna. Now, here's the important part. They are both in the grave. Hebrew word, sheol. Now, the grave, it's not earthly. It's not part of creation. We would think of it as like spiritual realms or something of that nature. The grave has, apparently, some regions, some areas, something like that. Now, the poor man is in paradise. Now, we should probably, at least in biblical terms, it would be good for us to relate this to the Garden of Eden, or Hebrew Gan Eden. uh, The same place that uh, you remember, uh, we're sort of reaching ahead in the story. But remember, there were three people crucified together. Jesus was one, and and one of the guys, he was kind of like picking up on, hey, this this Jesus guy's pretty awesome. And Jesus said, "Today you'll be with me in paradise, mm-hmm. same place." And and it's like the Garden of Eden, sort of the the end of the story, if you will. Humanity is returned to the garden, at least metaphorically. So anyway. This is also the same place that Paul expected to go when he made statements like, oh, to be, you know, uh, absent from the body is to be with the Lord, that kind of thing. And and it's similar to what today a lot of people refer to as heaven, but boy, we've really screwed up the concepts of heaven, hell, whatever. But you get the idea. It's a nice place. It's a nice place, huh? And the rich man... He's in Gehenna. And, and again, biblically, we would relate this to Gehenom. It's that—you that talked about that on an episode, Samuel, that mm-hmm. valley, you know, right? But this, again, it's in the grave, it, but it represents a place of torment or punishment. And again, it's kind of, sort of, like what we today, most people would refer to as hell. But again, we've completely screwed that idea up. This isn't—it's nothing to do with like eternal conscious torment, and it's not like runned by some horned devil with a pitchfork or you know any of those things. But it's—you're in the grave. You've got you know the good nice area, paradise. You've got the the bad area. That's uh, what did they call it here? I called it Gehenna. He's in Gehenna. Oh, in here they refer to it as Hades. That's just another way of saying uh, the grave. It's just the Greek form of it. Whatever. But what else we got? You you can see, oh yeah, so you can actually see from one area to the other. So there's some visibility there, but you can't cross between them. You can't even reach between, as, as we'll see when we go on. I never picked up on that
1: before. That's wild. I've never visualized that people in Paradise and people in Gehenna, can see one another. Yeah,
0: crazy, right? Now, here's the thing: if if you think, man, what's this Paul guy talking about? This all sounds so weird. This is standard Pharisaic Jewish teaching or understanding in Jesus's day. This is important. Jesus isn't bringing anything new here. He's kind of going with the the common story. And it wasn't the only interpretation. So, I mean, there were other ideas, but this one was pretty common and pretty popular. I, 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 From what I can tell, it appears to have been, like, the majority view. And again, you have to kind of see, Jesus, just by telling this story the way you tell it, in a sense, he's sort of accepting that particular interpretation, that particular view. And at least for the purposes of this story— He's offering no contradiction. He's offering no correction, and that's where I get this idea of you know it's it's kind of a soft endorsement of those ideas, at least in terms of what we think of as eschatology. And by the way, I know I mentioned it, but it, just because you see the Greek word Hades, and I'm, I'm I'm assuming it's it's in my translation. I don't know if it's in yours, but. Here's the warning. Don't bring a bunch of Greek mythology into this. And that is like a common, common problem that has occurred in the church through history. It's just a bad thing. Just remember this is a Jewish story. So we're talking about Jewish things the grave, paradise, Gehenna, it's all there. And again, <laughs> Boy, don't be inserting some of these ideas like the harrowing of hell or other popular fiction in here either. Uh, I'm, same warning. This is a Jewish story. Don't take these things that happen in the future and try to lay them back over the top and they don't really fit. And, you know, because I'm sure I'm raising questions because we're talking about things that have to do with the end or, or you know, at least after death, you know, whatever. Uh, Here's just one other important point I thought I would mention at this point anyway. Everyone is going to be released from the grave for resurrection. It doesn't matter whether you're coming from paradise or from Gehenna, you will be released so that you can be resurrected. You will be resurrected. Therefore, You must understand that this thing that we're talking about here, both paradise and Gehenna, the grave, this time between life and resurrection, or we could think of it as the time of death for us, they're temporary. It is all temporary. So, you know, just kind of stick that in your pocket, hold on to it, because it's good information. It might be helpful for you.
1: Well, that's good. Um, I don't want to... Take too much time away from us moving on in the story because I think we've got some good good momentum. But I just wanted to point out that another thing about the grave that is interesting that's being described in this story is that it seems as if you can recognize characters from the biblical story, like the patriarchs. Like in verse twenty three, it says yeah. the, the rich man saw Abraham. So I've never that's that's also something I've not thought. I've thought about like the kingdom uh, where I think maybe in revelation, it talks about how, you know, you've got the, the banquet table. People are going to dine at, and the patriarchs are going to be there, but I I don't incorporate that to the grave as well. So I just think that's a really cool detail to keep in mind too.
0: Yeah. Uh, Our modern, view often just sort of glosses over all this stuff but in the the Jewish view they had a very clear understanding of hey there is something very specific about the time that we are dead when our eternal spirit the heavenly spirit whatever you want to call it continues on but our our body and our mor- mortal soul if you will they're they're gone so yeah, it's a good image. Uh, where is everybody? Where are they? Well, they're in the grave. And that's what, that's what it looks like. All right, so let's go on then. Luke chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. It says this. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that Those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. All right, now we kind of touched on some of these things a little bit, but we're getting, you know, a little more detail. So now you got this rich guy, and see, again, you got to, what's the story telling us? He probably never showed any compassion to the poor guy. That's why he's in the situation that he is in. But he's asking Abraham, who's over in paradise, to send, you know, the poor guy, Lazarus, over to show some compassion to him. Isn't that just bold? In his entire life, and again, we're, we're reading a little something into this. That guy never showed any compassion to him, but when he really wanted some compassion, he was quick to ask poor Lazarus, hey, you know, send him to help me. <laughs> and all he wanted was a drop of water for his tongue. Okay, uh, you know, I get it. And if you think about the story, that drop of water is roughly equivalent to the scraps that have fallen to the floor. If you want to think of it that way, right? So there's some real mm. there's some real symmetry here. But Abraham's answer is and and it I don't know, kind of sounds harsh, but it's just it Abraham's answer is that the way things are, you know, as as we see this whole story worked out, well that's already what is right and just. And he reminds the rich man that He had comfort and ease in life, so now he has anguish and torment. Now, Samuel, see if we can get some—was it because he was rich? No. No, it was because he didn't use his wealth, he didn't use his resources to ease the burden of suffering going on around him all of a sudden, do you see how that relates to all of the stories that we had in the last episode and all of that? Mm-hmm. It's very—it's a consistent thing. Jesus, it, it's just the same message over and over, different ways of saying it. See, he didn't make friends for himself, heavenly friends, that is, by means of unrighteous wealth. And you could go back to Luke chapter 16, verse 9, you can see what we're talking about. Again, it's not the wealth that is the problem, it's our relationship to it. He hadn't used his wealth for justice. Now, had he, it would have been a different story, but mercy, charity, etc, you know, all those things as instructed in Torah, the real purpose and point and goal of the Torah and all of the laws, all of the rules, well, if he had done that, he likely would have been in paradise too. But then we also see, I think, in this poor man, like, uh, I don't know, there's a real hope in that. Many people living today, living all across the centuries, many people have lived or are living lives of suffering. Their lives are just hard. And I'll be the first to confess, I'm not that guy. I've got it easy here in America, whatever. But there are a lot of people that have lived lives of suffering, even in America, let's be fair. But this isn't the end of the story. There is comfort with God. God is going to make all of this right and just in some way. So even if your life, you know, quote-unquote sucks, there is still hope. Now, Abraham... He 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 makes his point, and it could be the end of the discussion. But Abraham adds that even if what he has already said wasn't the case, there's nothing Lazarus, the poor man, or anyone could do anyway. A chasm exists; it can't be crossed. And this helps the rich man, at least I think, to fully grasp the reality of his situation. And now we're going to see in the next part of the story, now he has a new request. Anything before we go there, Samuel?
1: Yeah, um, one of the things that you said that he reminds the rich man that he had comfort and ease in life, so now he has anguish and torment. And you you asked a very appropriate question. Was it because he was rich? The obvious answer was no. Um, another question I feel like maybe we should ask too is it, is is it because he had comfort and ease in life um what i mean by that is like there has to be some people thinking like are you telling me that i shouldn't feel like feel like i deserve to experience comfort and ease in life when so much things so many things around me are broken and hostile to god and righteousness and pursuing holy living and i don't think that that's the case either i i I mean i'm of the opinion that god wants us to be able to experience comfort and ease when available because those are characteristics that we will get to experience fully in the kingdom in the world to come like there's jewish thought that you're going to be judged for the times that you did not celebrate in life when you had the opportunity to uh, yeah. Which is a very cool thought. Um, so I think the point is more: Did you let that be your final identity, or what you were depending on—your comfort and your ease—or did you? Was it like an overflowing of abundance? Like, man, I I've, I've experiencing so much comfort and ease because of what God has given me that. Like, I need to give back. Like, I need to allow other people to experience this, too. I I I just bring that up to say that I think people can experience comfort and ease in life, and that does not mean that you're going to experience anguish and torment uh, in the grave.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you don't need to get to the end of a day and go, what, this was such a great day. I need to go repent to God. <laughs> no, no. We can experience joy. We can experience goodness, all of those things. But you're right, it depends on, again, it's it's just like the money, it's our relationship to it. You know, if we looked at our lives as, oh, we always have to suffer, we always have to suffer, well, that gets into some of the problems that we saw all in the first century. You know, uh, some of it related to Gnosticism and uh, all of that. We're just denying self, denying the flesh, you know, saying that the flesh is is all evil and only caring about the spiritual thing, which is a big mistake because obviously the end of the story is we're right back in our flesh, so that's a big deal. But, yeah, you're right, Samuel. It isn't because he was rich, and it isn't because he experienced comfort and ease. It's he experienced comfort and ease and did it in the midst of suffering without doing anything about it when he had the means to change it. So, yeah, Yeah. good point. Good and
1: point. one more thing before you move on um, this chasm that you pointed out yeah. that it, it helps the rich man to fully grasp the reality of his situation I've read some Jewish thought that, pl- that plays into that uh, concerning specifically Gehenna the Gehenna aspect of the grave uh, in that our Western minds thinking, like what you've said before, of eternal conscious torment, it's so far removed from that, and that the, the anguish and the torment that is being described in a story like this actually has more to do with like the person experiencing a higher level of truth um, from their life on Earth um wow. like i read an article about like i know it's a sensitive topic but like uh, these people on this jewish site were discussing the fate of someone who commits suicide and they were saying that like the act of that doesn't solve anything but it, like what it actually does it, it escalates the agony of the soul to a higher place of truth like whatever causing whatever was causing that pain on the earthly realm is fully realized with clarity in the grave. Mm. And that's what caused the, t- causes the torment of the realization of the things that you have been responsible for, um, oh, that yeah. you had the opportunity to, to fix, to, to, to oh. in, in a way. I don't know if that makes sense, but
0: yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's,
1: it even um, in the midst of that torment and anguish th- that view has mercy in it, too, because it's not antagonistic from God's perspective. It's, I mean, God is truth, and even in yeah. this this realm, he is showing that in what we've done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I actually really like what you're describing as the kind of torment or the kind of torture that one might feel, whatever. And the reason I like it is because it, it highlights the idea that, okay, remember, this is now a disembodied spirit. If if you've died, your body and your your uh, nefesh, your mortal soul, they're gone. It's you're just the disembodied spirit that neshama. And what does that even mean to feel suffering and torment? We don't know because we're we're you know like mostly physical beings that's the way we, we take in reality you know and so it just highlights the idea that yeah you don't even have you don't even really have the ability to comprehend what suffering torture whatever is you know so anyway that's good I like yeah I like that mm. I like it well let's finish the story we're still in Luke 16 where we're going to read verses 27 to 31 it says this And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And I just bet you a lot of people are listening to that going, well, I don't know, I think if I saw somebody, I'd be convinced. <laughs> but let's see what Jesus is talking about. So we got this rich guy, and now he's going to kind of get all resourceful on us, right? He's trying to figure out, geez, what am I going to do now? So he figures, hey, if nobody can cross over to Gehenna, help me out, well, maybe maybe they can cross over to where the living is. Are Maybe they can still interact with the living. So, in a sense, it's like he's accepted his own fate, but he hopes that maybe he can help his brothers before it's too late for them. And he asks that Lazarus, the poor man, be sent to his brothers to warn them so they don't end up where he is. Seems pretty reasonable, right? Well, Abraham... Uh, you know, we could understand what it is he's saying here in different ways. You could think that he is sidestepping, or you might think that he's scolding, or you might think that Abraham is being ironic in some way. Uh, whichever it might be, Abraham is laying out a simple and enduring truth. Everything they need to know with regard to paradise or life, whatever you want to call it, everything they need to know is in the Torah and the prophets, Moses and the prophets. If only they will hear them. Now, this is not true just for this guy's five brothers. This is true for every human all time, period. Now, just to say it out loud, uh, still true today, but but uh, some have suggested that when he says this little bit about they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them, some have suggested this is a slam directed at the Sadducees. Any idea why they might say that, Samuel? Um, oh man, I know the big
1: thing that's crazy to think about the Sadducees is that they did not
0: believe in life existence after death, right? Right, Yeah. And and think about that. So on one hand, you could see, oh, Abraham's just going, hey, they've got Moses and the prophets. Listen to them. Because they always claimed all of this life after death stuff, all of that. It's not in the scriptures. Hmm. Right? We know better. So there was that. But they uh, – what was the other thing I was going to say about the Sadducees? Oh, oh, yeah. The, the idea that, hey, if – if Lazarus did come back, if they knew he was dead and then they saw him come back, if they were Sadducees, that might be the thing that would sort of get them off of their high tower. It might be the thing that would sort of shock them, wake them up to say, wait a second, maybe we're wrong. Maybe there is life after death or you know, something of that nature. So anyway, Some think that this is specifically supposed to be a slam directed at Sadducees, and oh, you know, it's possible, but it's kind of weird because in the text we've very specifically been told that he's interacting with his own disciples and scribes and Pharisees all along the way here. So so we don't know of any Sadducees anywhere around So it'd be weird to try to teach them a Sadducee lesson when they're already Pharisees and they already believe this stuff. So I don't know. It's a little bit weird. But it could be. I don't know. But the rich man, at least in the story, the rich man protests. No, really. If they saw someone back from the dead, they would believe. And, you know, you got to admit, it sounds like a pretty good argument. But Abraham is unmoved. He knows better. He knows that if they won't, quote unquote, hear the Torah or the prophets, even a person that has come back from the dead won't convince them. And this Samuel is kind of cool. It actually shows us just how powerful the scriptures are. According to, well, this story that Jesus is telling, so I'm going to say according to Jesus the scriptures are actually more convincing than even someone coming back from the dead. At least for the person who is, in fact, willing to see and hear. And I'm going to go a little further, and I'm going to say, you know what? I think Jesus is right because we have proof. And what is that proof? Jesus was resurrected. And just to say this out loud, yes, we consider... Jesus' resurrection as an obvious and provable fact. But the point again is Jesus was resurrected, and there are still many who remain unconvinced. So anyway, summary, if uh, how, how could I wrap this up? Don't pursue wealth for your own satisfaction and comfort and ease. Instead, You need to repent from that thinking, that behavior, pursue using your wealth, however much or little, and whether it's money or skills or all those things you talked about, Samuel, use that wealth to ease someone with a greater burden than yours. Ease their burden, lessen their suffering. Use your wealth for mercy and justice, etc. This is being in the image of God. This is being a disciple. This is Torah.
1: Mm. So good. Uh, man. It's got me wrestling right now inside me with the effectiveness of the scriptures that you mentioned and your. are Bringing it back around to the example of Jesus, like, I'm not trying to disagree with that because 100%, I I think more people need to spend time, at least in this subsection of this parable, to show that, like, this is yet again more defense that the Torah, the Old Testament in general, hasn't been done away with or canceled because Jesus is using this story to defend that, you know, a patriarch, one of the founding members of the Judeo-Christian faith is arguing that the scriptures and this story's context were effective for this man's brothers to be able to believe and repent. Yeah, um, but for my, life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but my, I don't know if you want to call it a problem, but what about how jesus jesus's resurrection did cause some people to repent is is the point that someone coming back from the dead and showing themselves to people is not foolproof or not fully effective the same way that like the word of god expressed in human language for humanity is I, do you, do you see what I am saying? Like, because when yeah. Jesus came back from the dead and people saw them, they believed. Like those that w- there were some that were struggling or on the fence, and when they saw him and his wounds and eating with him again, it it turned the corner for them. Particularly his 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 own family, his brothers.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and this is okay. Again, we're not arguing whether this is or is not a parable because let's just be honest. In the end, we don't care, but. Just like when we talk about the parables, we've talked about this idea that, look, they're trying to make, generally speaking, a single point. Now, occasionally, it makes multiple points, and there's goodness in that and all that, but you've got to recognize that if you start to stray away from the main single point, you can, in many ways, end up thinking weird, thinking goofy stuff, and so you have to be somewhat careful of that. Be, Be careful. So, treating this story or parable in the same way, we would look at this and we go, "Well, okay, is the takeaway that scriptures are effective for life? People coming back from the dead? No, not for life. Well, no, it's not saying that. Uh, it's it's just emphasizing how people they are either willing to quote unquote hear." God, Jesus, whatever, they're they are either willing to hear it or they are not. If they're not, the Scriptures aren't going to convince them. Somebody coming back from the dead isn't going to convince them. Fill in the blank with anything you want, it's not going to convince them because they, they, they're unwilling to hear, they're unwilling to see. But does that mean that, you know, can there not be people who the resurrection is the thing that actually tips them over? Well no, of course it is. But why is that? Because somewhere in them they are willing to hear, they are willing to see. Everybody's just different. There, there's something, something for everyone, something that, that makes them go, Okay, that's it. Now I believe. For some, it could be a resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. Some it could be something in scripture. For others, it could be just something they experience in their life, something that we would think of as, well, no, this is just, you know, people living their lives, but they're impactful and all that. So, yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to like, what do we call this, over-read or over-interpret what's being said. It's just, we get the point. Scriptures are powerful. Mm-hmm. But, eh, is pretty powerful, too. <laughs> you know? Again, and it, the the real point, I guess, then would go back to yeah, it it, it depends on the the person. Are they willing to hear? Mm.
1: That's cool. It's it's almost like this X factor that you're speaking of, and that might tie back into what we were talking about in the last section of the potential reality of the grave, whether in the positive or the negative sense that in the grave the person realizes what that x factor in their life did for the outcome of their soul in that oh like you know they die and they and they're in the henna and they're like oh my gosh like my x factor was i really didn't care about anybody else but myself and that's all that i was vouching for and look where i am now or the x factor in paradise is like you know, praise God that I wanted more for my life, that I experienced brokenness and lacking, and I didn't let that have the final say in my life, and I, I pursued something different. So, yeah. I don't know, that's a, that's a cool
0: image. Yeah, it is. You actually reminded me something that popped in my brain, but I never said out loud, and, and that's that—remember uh, how we talked about uh, a disciple being willing to to humble themselves— and you could think of that in terms of either even accepting something other than comfort, something other than ease for the purpose of, you know, loving others or whatever it might be. And that's a just that that other aspect of it is not just the idea that we may or may not have comfort and ease in our own life, but but you know what, even though it's okay to experience comfort and ease as long as you, you are looking outside yourself and trying to help others, but it, it could also be that you actually forego comfort and ease for the sake of others, and that may be an awesome thing for you. It's not a an absolute demand, every Christian must do this, but it, it is a very real and high calling, and, and there may be those that should do it, and probably more than ever will. Let's say that. But yeah, 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 these are good pictures. That's good stuff. Well, what do you think? Shall we go on? I think so. All right. See if we can slip one more section in here. We're going to move on. We're still in Luke. Luke's popular right now. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, We're in chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin... Are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. And he were cast into the sea. Than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins. Rebuke him. And if he repents. Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Anybody want to swallow hard right now? (laughs) (laughs) Guilt. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't know. Depends on who you are, what you've heard, what your life's been like. Here's maybe a surprise for you. Temptation to sin is sure to come. <laughs> <laughs> Survey says. <laughs> Everybody knew that. Now, now, if you're listening to this podcast and you are, in fact, alive, well, then you know this to be true. But Jesus makes special mention of the bringer of temptation. I don't even know if that's a word. Or the causer of temptation. I'm not even sure that's a word. Uh, he declares woe to them. And that word woe, that's not a common word today. It's like horror and, and grief and blame. It's, it's, it's all negative, right? It's not good. Woe. He says it would be, it would be better to have a millstone Hung on your neck. Now, Samuel, exactly how big is a millstone? I guess it depends. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer because millstones don't come in only one size. However, even in this day, and I don't know why this should be surprising when you see some of the things they built in this day, but in this day and age, Jesus's day and age, there are, they're, they're said to be like a few thousand pounds. Now, Let's back off that and say, oh, come on, those were only some of the big ones. The normal ones were not near that big. Okay, what if it were only a few hundred pounds? You're still going to sink. Yeah, you totally get the point, especially as Jesus continues and says you're going to be cast into the sea. It doesn't take much of an imagination to get the picture. Somebody... (laughs) ties you to something that weighs a few hundred pounds and tosses you in the water. <laughs> hey, it's abyss time, right? So so get this picture. What Jesus is saying is, it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and to be tossed into the sea. It's better than to go through that unavoidable drowning than it is to cause someone else to sin. I don't know about you. I wouldn't like going through that. It just sounds like an awful way to die to me. But, it, right, it, it, it's it's better than causing someone else to sin. And then Jesus adds, especially one of the little ones. Now, Samuel, do you remember us talking about little ones?
1: Yeah, didn't Jesus say, if you don't become like one of these little ones uh, as my disciple, then you like can't be a part of? what I've got going on.
0: Yeah, he very easily could have been talking about children, and I think it applies to children or whatever, but we talked about these little ones, and I actually went and looked real quick. It's back in Matthew 10 and Matthew 18 and Mark 9. You can scroll through the Okie Dokie Most website and find those if you want. But yeah, we talked about it, and and, and that was that idea of people who were humbling themselves. They were becoming like one of the little ones, childlike. Now, at those times, you know, I'm talking about Matthew 10, Matthew 18, Mark 9. Uh, At those times, it was obvious we were talking about two groups. And you had the, the immature believers. Oh, I forgot about that one. The immature believers on one hand, and then those who had, like, purposely decided that they were going to humble themselves. And so in this case... It seems, I don't know, I would say most appropriate that we're talking about the immature believer. I don't know that it's so much about the ones who's humbled themselves, but it certainly could include them. Why not? The point is that we need to take special care around them, but we don't need to limit our attention there. So, we all, and Samuel, this is just one of those things that sounds so hard, but it's important that we talk about it. It's important that somehow we get it in our brains and and at least start pursuing this in some way. We all, as, you know, brothers in Christ, we need to live vigil- vigilantly. We need to be watchful, one, for ourselves, but also for others. We need to, you know, leave room for others to point out our faults and shortcomings, uh, The words would be We need to let them rebuke us. And we need to be willing to point out others' faults and shortcomings. In other words, rebuke them. This is a tough way to live in community together. But it's for everyone's good, it's for the removal of sin to whatever degree it's possible. And this, this is another image, another picture of seeking first the kingdom, which, by the way, we remember Jesus commanded. And even more than that, if there is repentance, we must also forgive. And, and that means that others need to forgive us, and we need to forgive others. And, okay, how often? Every time now jesus's number here he says seven times in a single day but that's not a limit okay if it's like dude it's only four thirty in the afternoon and you've already hit number seven i am done forgiving you <laughs> no that's not what he's doing uh, using the number seven times in a day it's just a way of saying that there is no limit it's you know it's uh an idiomatic form of speech, right? So, uh, rebuking, uh, repentance, forgiveness, it's kind of like a never-ending cycle. It sounds awful, but it's also, in a sense, redeeming. It's good. But we have to acknowledge that the point is progress. And what I'm saying is we can't let this kind of understanding we can't let it become an excuse for you know just outright willful big fat jerk kind of behavior again the point is seeking first the kingdom as jesus commanded and and as we pray just another example uh, what do we say uh, let your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven That's exactly what we're talking about here, this type of community, and in all of it, we have to remain somehow kind and respectful and loving, because what is the point? The point of rebuking, repenting, forgiving, back and forth, both directions, all of it, the point of it is to build one another up, not to tear down. So, this is an amazing and awesome picture, and oh, I just I, I I'm inside my head. I'm divided. I want it. I want to see it so much, and then the thought of living in it, truly living this way, boy, that sounds hard. Yeah, it is.
1: Um, and it this idea of prioritizing not causing those who might be weaker than you in the faith to stumble. It's not an idea that's going to end here with Jesus's words. It's like it's come up previously through in the text and it's going to come up afterwards too. And like just as an yep. example, like we'll get to this letter eventually, but Paul the Apostle's letter to the Romans in chapter 14 verse 1 you can't get more straightforward than this. He says, now accept the one who is weak in faith. Um, (laughs) That's like a word-for-word quote of what Jesus is saying right here um, in a way. So I think that it just shows how important of a quality that is among the kingdom of God and that we should never take advantage of where we might be at in terms of our progress or our growth or our strides, if it means at the expense of someone else who is still experiencing struggles or growing pains or gaps uh, in their spiritual journey.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could think it's real easy to think about people who are, you know, pick your word, new or immature or whatever it might be. But Samuel, any one of us on any given day in any given situation, are we not able to have our moments of being weak? For sure, being uh, immature, being whatever. Yeah this this is it's this is ongoing kingdom life here in the not yet kingdom. Right? trying to bring that little foretaste into being just through our very lives, the way we interact mm-hmm. with one another and others. Yeah. So yeah.
1: I, I also wanted to bring up, uh, again, we've, we've said this previously with the whole seven times and your talk about that being an idiomatic way that it's a never-ending cycle. Let's also not forget the Jewish culture, how much importance they put on the the symbolism that numbers provide in the biblical text. Uh, I mean, we see that in anything from the number 40 regarding testing, uh, the number 3 regarding community, and then 7 has to do with fullness. And so Jesus could be using 7 here also to say that the type of forgiveness that we should be expressing towards others should be one in its fullness. Uh, There should be no lack in forgiveness in who we or how we demonstrate that to others.
0: Yeah, and it's, you know, you you always got to remember that little bit of sincerity that has to be there. I mean, you can't have somebody who's, you know, claiming repentance or whatever just so they can continue to get away with whatever they're doing and use and abuse people or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sincere people. You know, you can be sincere and mess up a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, we, people shouldn't be penalized for that. It's like, no, you know what? Just hang with them. Be patient. They're going to get it. And it, it's good. It's a good, yeah. good, good image. And, you know, here we're talking about it in community, like as brothers in Christ, brothers in church, whatever it might be. Dude, this would be great at, at your house. If you have a family, This, this is great, you know? So, yeah, it's all just a good picture. Anything else, Samuel? I'm Plum out. All right. Let's skedaddle. Okie dokie. Oh! Thank you
1: for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about us and the podcast at www. okidokimos.com please feel free to send us any questions or comments you have to our email address okidokimos at gmail.com and until next time we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth we'll talk to you again soon